So uh, we're in Second Timothy chapter two. Oh, okay, great, thanks. Um, and so uh, we're talking about building people who build churches, fighting to the finish, going from fear to fruit, and looking at the identity um, of what a son, the nine attributes of a son of God um, that we've been covering from Second Timothy chapter two. Uh, let's just look at verses 1 through 5, and then we will pick up where we left off. 2 Timothy 2, one says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We spent a lot of time several weeks ago talking about being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. And thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So if we're going to teach faithful men, be ready for the battle because there will be difficulty. And uh, and no man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he, <clears throat> he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. If any man uh, also strive for the mastery, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So, um, so obviously, our first relationship found in Second Timothy chapter one and uh, chapter two is that of a son, uh, and then from that flows the stewardship. Verse two, a soldier. Verses three through four, an athlete. Verse five, a husbandman slash farmer. Uh, six through seven, a teacher. Eleven through fourteen, a student. Verse fifteen, a vessel of honor. Twenty through twenty. 21 and a servant. Uh, we're working our way down through all of that. We've seen that a disciplined, uh, the discipline of a faithful soldier uh, is what we've been uh, looking at. And we have made our way all the way through our chart, our seven realities, and talking about enduring hardness. Uh, we talked about that. And uh, now <coughs> I'm looking at your chart, see where we are. So we're still under enduring hardness. So you're down around, we're coming down to verse, almost to James 4.17, to kind of get, give you a gauge of where we're at. We, we covered 2 Corinthians 11 and uh, talked about um, the need to, to uh, you know, <clears throat> endure the sufferings of Christ. So uh, I left off talking about that. Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, ends up in 2 Corinthians 11.22-31 dealing with all those perils that he had. And then at the end of that sentence there, that that paragraph, he says, you know, if I'm going to glory, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. And at the end of the day, um, you know, everything I tell you is true. And so Paul's credibility uh, wasn't based really on what the Corinthians thought about him. It was in what God thought about him. And um, and so even though Paul was uh, one of the intellects of his time, um, uh, he didn't appeal to his Hebrew heritage. Uh, he... Uh, he didn't even appeal to his incredible conversion on the road to Damascus. He appealed to the sufferings as a good soldier. And that's where we left off. How Paul, when it came right down to it, if he was going to identify, he says, hey, I'm going to identify with the sufferings. And that's why he endured, He was enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul knew what it was like to suffer for Christ and, uh, and fill up the sufferings of Christ. So uh, if you identify with God as a son, uh, 2 Timothy 2.1, and as a steward, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, it's imperative that you see yourself as a soldier. And... <clears throat> I'm sorry, we actually have covered this, so I'm, I'm going, i got to go further. So uh, we've already covered that. So we got to see ourselves as a soldier, uh, and that means you follow orders, you don't answer again, uh, you behave with honor, you endure affliction patiently, you suffer to the death of self, uh, 
which could mean literal death. Uh, and then point B, we avoid entanglements, 2 Timothy 2.4. Um, right? We don't want to get entangled with this world. And it's no man that warth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And, and then we talked about how uh, to work with wisdom that God gives you and lay aside everything else, uh, how David um, was a man like that. And so uh, he, he trusted the Lord to, to defeat the Philistine, laid aside Saul's armor, and went after Goliath. David would learn to wear the armor, but not until he learned to trust the Lord for victory. Right? Eventually he would get the armor. Eventually he would use that sword, and he would chop off Goliath's head. So um, I have... I have discombobulated my notes here, so you guys will have to forgive me so I can get back on track. Yeah, here we go. Um, I got ahead of myself. All right, so there we go. I'm intermixing. I'm interposing. Let me do things decently and in order. Four. You know it comes before six? It's five. There we go. All right. So enduring hardness is where we left off. And... So I actually we haven't been to entanglement. So I, I was right on track, but my papers were out of order. So forgive me. All right. So if you identify with God as a son, let me back up uh, and a steward. Uh, it's imperative that you see yourself as a soldier. So that means we. I just already touched on these. We follow orders, but let me slow roll this, and uh, maybe we can wrap this up tonight. So you obey God's command immediately and exactly with the right heart attitude. Ephesians six starts off with that, right? A good soldier doesn't break rank. Uh, he has a duty to do good. That puts us in our text in James four seventeen. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what sin, sin right? So we're to keep orders and do what God tells us to do because His word is always good, and so we don't answer again. That that uh, is Second or Titus two nine exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things. Not answering again, right? No talk back. Uh, we uh, we do what we're told, uh, and then that means we behave with honor. Philippians one twenty seven. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent. I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So we need to be honorable. And, uh, of course, Philippians uh, is a really incredible book, a great, a great you know, book to, to live by. And so does our lifestyle make the gospel look good? Does it become the gospel? Uh, our, our lifestyle should be as it becometh the gospel. So really we should make the, the gospel look good by our lifestyle. I think we all know people like that. Humble people, gentle people, kind people, um, uh, just honorable people uh, make the gospel look good. I had the, I, th- I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go by uh, Billy Graham's uh, museum a few weeks ago, and I'd never been there, and I really wasn't looking forward to it, honestly. I just kind of felt like I needed to do it and check it off my list of things. It's there, and I won't probably have a chance to do that again. So Amy and I um, went and saw that, and I was so actually pleasantly surprised. Uh, it's ex- actually, it, it, how many of you been there? Anybody been there? Oh, it's worth going by. It, it really delves into who he really was, uh, which is just a guy. They do a good job of just saying he's just some farm boy over here, just a just a milk cow kid. Parents are good people. No, nothing special about Billy Graham. What's special is Jesus. You know, they really did work that out. 
uh, I think, through the whole thing. And it is amazing to see what God did for the gospel's sake. And I would say, I mean, again, and I think I mentioned this even on Sunday morning or somewhere, uh, you know, Billy Graham really stepped in it in a lot of ways with Norman Vincent Peale and some other things that he got involved in, for sure. Uh, He definitely left off being a fundamental preacher and went off in some other directions. But Having said that, I do think as a whole, from the world's perspective, his life become, became the gospel, meaning he, he made it look good. I mean, he never cheated on his wife and stole money and did all those other things that so many did. Uh, he always had a testimony that made the gospel. He never did anything to detract from the gospel that I'm aware of. You know, it wouldn't matter if he held a King James Bible if he, if he did all that, you know. Um, so, you know, he did a good job of, of at least making the gospel look good with his lifestyle and honoring the Lord in that way. And so that means we endure affliction patiently. And I don't think any of these are in your notes, so you, you'll have to, I'll slow this down a little bit. So we're, we're, I'm just walking through uh, what it really means to um, see yourself as a soldier. Again, going back to what we talked about last night uh, or this morning. Hi, ladies. Hi. It's good to see you all. Twice in one day. You can't get too much. So, here's a couple of handouts we're working down. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, no problem. Yeah, this is a, this is a big crowd on Sunday night. So, uh, <laughs> it keeps it keeps me humble. So. <laughs> <laughs> These are the prayer warriors. So uh, this is a this is a, we're in Second Timothy chapter two. Uh, so we're we're already through point one. Um, the New Testament identifies the church and the saints. In um, I don't remember what that fill in the blank is. Anybody got that on the first page? You don't have it. <laughs> Oh, military terms. Yes, military terms. There we go. And then, um, yeah, fellow identified uh, fellow soldiers. Or wait, that's not right. Paul identified. One, two, three. Blankety blank. It's so long in between. There we go. Individual Christians as fellowship soldiers. Um, that's a that's new language that we created here. Fellowship soldiers, and then uh, a good soldier <clears throat> fights a good fight is on page two, uh, and A is endure hardness. Uh, and I think that's where we left off. What's that? Faithful men. I'm looking at... Uh, is that what I gave you? It may be. I'm looking at my... I got things identified that you don't have. Individual Christians uh, supplies himself a good soldier, fights a good fight.
identified individual Christians as fellowship soldiers. It should be fellow soldiers. I think that auto-corrected on me when I, t- when I did that, actually. So, yes. So that gets us caught up. So we were under point, uh, down under point A, which is endure hardness, and working our way to point B tonight. And so, um, so we're under, under that point, we're under James, we're down to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. We saw in 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That means we endure affliction patiently, and we are willing to suffer death to self. So he understands uh, this life is not his own, but the Lord who bought him. So 1 Corinthians 6.19, uh, which is in your notes there, Paul says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So God owns us. You know, there used to be that dude a few years ago, I forget his name, uh, uh, used to rap and what have you, but he had this whole group called God's Property and they'd sing and dance and all that stuff. Uh, But we really are God's property. So that was actually biblically accurate. So we're bought with a price. So, but we in America we kind of think that we're not. So we kind of we're, we're our own man or we're our own woman. But in reality, it would do us good to discipline ourselves to remember that we really aren't our own man, our own woman, and that's what the word Lord is all about, right? We serve the Lord, and so uh, what does the Lord want us to do, and how does He want us to do it? And we're soldiers, right? So you got to say, sir, yes, sir. But fortunately, we serve a good a good father, right? He's not overbearing. He's not a jerk face. Uh, he's loving and kind. But he will ask us to do hard things, uh, and it's always worth it. And if we, and he's never going to ask us to do more than than we can bear, right? He's always there for us. And so, uh, these are things that that's why we we got to meditate on these things and give ourselves holy to them. First Corinthians fifteen thirty one, Paul says, "I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily." So, like, we don't have to worry about going off and dying as a martyr somewhere because we should already be dead daily. And that's easy to say but hard to do. Um, I can remember, I have been in my in my life, I've been in a few times where I've, uh, you know, Bob's been in real combat, so he, he definitely has been there where it's like, I don't know if I got the next five minutes. But, um, but in my life, too, there's been a few times where I'm like, okay, this could be it. You know, I'm not sure we're going to get out of this one. Uh, in particular, I remember being in Bhutan when they, they just arrested a guy with Jesus film. It was in the news, and I had like five of them in my backpack, and I was sitting there going, oh boy, let's see how this goes. And the next day I was going to Tempu, which is the capital, with my five, uh, you know, with my stuff. And I had these spies with me, and, uh, you know, these guys were just casing everything that we were doing. I thought, is this where I get arrested and I don't go home? <laughs> and uh, and so, praise the Lord, everything worked out okay, but I, there for a minute, uh, I really was like, I remember waking up that morning going, well, Lord, so be it. You know, if that's uh, a country named Bhutan. Yeah, it's the last, uh, Hind- it's last Buddhist monarchy. So, um, and so Christianity is illegal there. So uh, at any rate, it was really a it was really a good check. You know, are you like, are you really willing to do this? Yes or no? So I I was, and I went down. And I witnessed to the 
you know the the king's son or brother-in-law, and and everything went fine by God's grace, and uh, and he got our first Bible here that we ever produced at HBF. It's in Bhutan in uh, Sangay Dorji's possession right now, uh, and so. Uh, by, that all went well, by God's grace. Hallelujah to you. But I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen there. So, um, uh, so God's good. So Second Corinthians four twelve through eighteen. So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the we have uh, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written. I believed, and therefore I have spoken. We also believed, and therefore speak. Uh, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also uh, by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things or for your sakes and the abundant grace <clears throat> that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God so that's a lot in that sentence in verse 15 for uh, for which cause we faint not though our outward man perish yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for uh, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So if you go back and you decompose that and break that sentence down, you know really what Paul is doing is bestowing uh, value upon the Corinthians. He's like, I, we are doing all of these things, um, you know, for your sakes. Right for y'all, and you're worth it. And we don't see what you see; we see beyond what you see, and it's glorious. And so here we go by faith. You know, we're going to give our lives completely for y'all because you're that important to God. And of course, if you were a Corinthian, you'd be thinking, uh, "I think you got the wrong church." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think you stopped in the wrong place, Paul, because we're crazy around here. And uh, and of course, when you go to the introduction, one of the best ways to see that is to go to the introduction of First Corinthians and see how Paul actually introduces himself and, and and speaks of the church before he gets into all the discussions about hey, Apollos and Paul and all this other garbage that they were into, and you're carnal and all that. I mean, he doesn't pull any punches on them, but he does uh, bestow value upon the Corinthians, not because of what they're doing or how they're acting, but because of the way God sees them and views them. And so uh, Paul had an ability to look past their carnality by faith and invest his life to the point of sacrifice like a good soldier because God told him to. But not just that, not just because God told him to. When you look at this, I mean, uh, they don't faint. Uh, even though their outward man perishes, they, they, are, they are pushing forward with a supernatural a supernatural power, right? Um, the inward man is renewed day by day as the outward man is dying. They're getting stronger as their outward man is perishing. Uh, what is that all about? Well, he says it's a light affliction. It's just for a moment. So he, Paul is living in the fullness of the resurrection power. I mean, Christ in him, the hope of glory. And so, um, you know, he's looking for abundant grace. Uh, to redound to the glory of God. He's like, man, God's grace is going to have to be sufficient here. And and uh, and you Corinthians, uh, you Corinthians are worth it. Right? And so y'all are, are, are really a good investment. Even though they don't really look like a good investment. Even when you get to 2 Corinthians, they're still kind of messed up. But uh, they were a good investment because Jesus Christ made them valuable by his death on the cross. And so Paul's like, it's worth everything. It's worth suffering and dying for. And I tell you what, that's what a good soldier does, right? There's a lot. Of, I know a lot of good men currently serving in the United States military, and uh, you know what? I'm glad they don't 
stick their finger in the air and get the wind of the political and who's in charge and who's not in charge. They just go out and they just serve. They just serve their country. They serve the Constitution, and whoever the commander is is who they serve uh, because they're good soldiers. That doesn't mean the commander's a good man. It doesn't mean they're going the right direction. It doesn't mean they're treated well. You know, I was just thinking about that this morning. Uh, for some reason, um, just how soldiers... Oh, I was thinking about the Bible, actually, and how soldiers are not always treated well by their commanders. You know, they're left hanging out in Afghanistan, or they're they're on a mission and, and, and something... What's that? Vietnam, exactly. There's all kinds of examples, uh, uh, and not just not just in in large troop movements, but even in special forces operations and things like that, where guys get left hung out to dry, you know, and they're just doing what they're told. They're just trying to to get that objective done, and the next thing you know, the rug's pulled out from under them. Uh, it happens a lot, you know, uh, but you need good men that are willing to go. A good example of that is Uriah the Hittite, right? What a great man he was, but the commander-in-chief was all messed up, and it cost Uriah his life. It didn't take anything away from Uriah other than his life, and the next thing you know, he's listed as the mighty men of valor in David's list because he was, right? And that's a blot on David for, for eternity, and it's recorded in the Word of God how he dealt with that faithful soldier. And so uh, honor is a big deal among, uh, among Christians, but especially among soldiers. If you don't want to be a soldier, don't worry about honor. But if you want to be a soldier, you've got to deal with honor. You've got to be willing to go where God tells you to go, even if it costs you your life. And uh, at the end of the day, that's the mindset that you see with the Apostle Paul. He's like, I'm willing to do whatever because I believe in God's grace is, is going to redound to the glory of God. And God wins every time, no matter what the sacrifice. So point B, avoid entanglement. I got it here and went back, so we kind of re- recycled this. Avoid entanglement, Second Timothy two four. And so this passage says, "No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life." You know, you've, in Proverbs it talks about how the cords of sin can wrap around us. Right? You get too many cords, you can't break them. One thread you can break. Two pieces around, all of a sudden it gets tough. Three, you, you can't even pry your fingers apart. Is that Ecclesiastes? I thought it was Proverbs. Yeah, Ecclesiastes 4. Ecclesiastes 4. I just read that the other day. That's probably why it's in my mind. Um, but it's not in our notes. So the, 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 you don't want to get entangled right, with the things of this world. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside uh, every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so work with wisdom. Um, God gives you and lay aside everything else. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 37, uh, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor and put a helmet of brass on his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. And David... uh, girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him, and he, looked, and he took his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. Remember today we talked about taking your staff. That's what a shepherd has, is a staff. And he put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script, and his sling 
uh, was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So David didn't have a sword. He took the Philistine sword from him with his staff. So don't underestimate the staff that God gives you. So um, the point is here, you got to work with wisdom and lay aside everything else. David laid aside Saul's armor. He, lay aside, he laid aside the conventional wisdom of what you had to do to go to war. And then he ends up winning big time. And so um, sometimes that's necessary. You've just got to go with what God tells you, uh, even if it doesn't didn't make conventional sense. Of course, it didn't make sense either to wear a six-foot-some guy's armor when you're a little dude that obviously isn't that big either. So David just went with what God gave him, and of course, it worked famously because God was with David. So David was would learn to wear the armor, but not until he learned to trust the Lord for victory, right? So eventually David would wear that armor, and he would use he would end up using Saul's sword or uh, Goliath's sword, but not until he had had some victory under his belt. He grew into that armor is what I'm saying. Uh, and he just had to, he had to learn to have victory with the Lord. Just like I said this morning, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. So he had to learn that God is the one who fights his battles. And once he got that down, um, then, you know what, he became very adept at all the other instruments of war. So what am I trusting the Lord to bring victory other than the Lord and the things he's provided? Right, And there's a lot of things you can trust other than the Lord. But ultimately, it's the Lord. So last week, we were... Yes, sir. Um, I found it interesting. I, I just... I mean, I, this just dawned on me like two minutes ago. But he rejected Saul's armor, but after the battle was over, Jonathan gave him all of his armor. Hmm, that is good. He got the armor of an honorable man. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that was respect. And so, that's really good. That's interesting. Um, uh, a few weeks, last week, so let's see, what is this Sunday? So last, a week ago, last Friday, I think it was, we uh, we were going to try to show this movie down in the DR, and we did all the work you, need, you could do. We went out in the streets, we did everything you could do, um, and... And it was, and nobody was coming. I mean, we had the movie set up. We had the PA going, announcing it. Uh, and and it literally, uh, Heather was just visibly, like, defeated. And, uh, and you could tell Lee was kind of like, you know, this didn't work. And, uh, and so, now we know it's Latin, but you think, even in Latin time, this was starting to, the, the minutes were ticking by. So it was like, okay, so, uh, but I, I just, I'm not trying to say that, you know, I did this, but I did say, you know, Lord, uh, we've done everything we could do. What we need is you to fill the nets. And, uh, and so help, Lord, because you got to bring them at this point. We've done our part. And it was so neat to see, uh, and I told you guys this already, but the men started showing up. Not the kids, not the wives, but the men started showing up, which blew me away, blew Lee away, blew us all away. It was like, wow, here come the men. And the men started filing in and sitting down, and then, of course, the women came, and then the children came, and before it was over, that place was packed, and, and we had to go find chairs. So that was really cool, but the point is, is that... Um, you know, our conventional wisdom it has limits. You know, the, light, the little tickets that we printed and took and all the activity we did. And again, there's nothing wrong with doing any of that stuff. We need to do all of that stuff. But really, what we really needed to do was see God fill the net. You know, you don't want to forget about that. And so when we go to Boston in a week or so, really what we need is God to fill the net. Uh, people say, it's hard in Boston. It's, this. it's really not that hard. You just got to be bold, go out, witness, and watch God fill the net. 
and God will bring prepared sinners to prepared saints. And uh, and that's that's really what we saw. That's why we saw eighty-seven salvations uh, professions last week because uh, they were prepared, you know. And uh, Mickey and, and Pam were prepared, right? So everybody was prepared, and the prepared sinners ready, and the prepared uh, saints are ready, and then God brings them together. So if you're not prepared, don't expect fruit. David was prepared. He was prepared in heart. He didn't need the. He didn't need all the. All, you know, all the weaponry. He just needed what God gave him, because God wins the battle. God fills the nets. You get the. You get the analogy. So, uh, David would learn to wear that armor eventually, but uh, he had to learn the victory came from the Lord. So we don't want to trust things that uh, uh, more than we trust God. So you, you you don't need a new job to be a great minister for Jesus. Uh, just start where you are. You know, when I get that new job, when I get that this or that, when I get that education. Just start right now where you are, and God will God will bless it from there. First Timothy six six, we'll get there later, but we'll touch on it now. But the godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like the advice to a good soldier, right? You got your food, you got your raiment, you're good to go. Right? You don't get. You may not get any extras. That takes a soldier in mindset, and uh, we can't get entangled with the affairs of this life. Uh, I'll never forget when uh, Mike Erway and Blake Anderson once said to me, I was visiting him in Mexico City, and uh, he said, Brian, each year we we learn to live on less. And he wasn't saying that like a negative thing. He's like, it's been so good to be in Mexico. We've we learned we've learned to live on less. And I open up the refrigerator, and they got two bricks in their refrigerator holding their glass shelf, so that they because they don't, you know, it's their their fridge is kind of broken down, you know, the things that hold the shelf. Well, they don't have the luxury of just going out and getting new stuff, so they got a couple bricks in there holding up their shelf. And and I'm, I mean, he wasn't just saying that; they learned every year to live on less and live like a Mexican. And uh, that's what they did, and that's kind of what they're doing now, even though they're in San Antonio now. So um, it's a it's a it's it's a it's a soldier's life, you know, but it's worth it. You heard it. I, I don't need to preach this. Doug Pearson just came in here last week and just preached the paint off the wall on this very subject, you know. He has nothing but has everything. He's living like a soldier. So are we willing to live on less so we can accomplish more? Here's the, here's the end of the matter, right? Are we willing to live on less to accomplish more? Because that's really what you got to, you know, you go into boot camp and you got too much weight on you. What are you going to have to do? Get it off, because you're gonna you ain't gonna accomplish much if you if you're uh, 50 pounds overweight. You may not even get into boot camp, right? You gotta you gotta get it off. You gotta you gotta trim it down so you can be faithful and do more. And so uh, being fat isn't what you necessarily want. Um, I think here in our own church a few years ago, God trimmed the fat too heavy. Too much overweightness. We need muscle mass, not fat mass. So, so we got to be lean and mean. So, uh, what is robbing your time? Um, yeah, maybe you can't live on less, uh, or maybe you can live on less. Maybe you can lay something aside altogether. Uh, you know, something that's robbing your time. So, think about time. How you, I think that's probably today more important than anything because time is ticking, and our and we are being bombarded. Uh, with distractions. And that's intentional, by the way. The devil needs us to be distracted. So very few people even know that, like last week, the Jews are fighting Palestinians in the streets of Jerusalem. Because uh, that's not main... Sh- that's big stuff in the God's timetable, but it's nothing in in contemporary uh, news cycles, right? So what's robbing you of your talent? 
something got you so entangled that you can't glorify God with your talent. Right? There's talents that you may be sitting on that you can't you can't use for God because you're entangled. Uh, can something be freed up? Can you free yourself up to use your talent for God, like a good soldier? One of our members in the church is a very good uh, marksman, and the United States military came looking for him. Why? Because he has a talent, and he needed to be freed up so he could be used for use that talent for them. Because not everybody has a, has an eye like he has. And so, um, so you know, if you got a talent, God needs to use it. But if you're busy, you know, doing something else, you're not available. You know, you got to be, you got to be available so God can use that talent. What's what is robbing you of your treasure? And by the way, I I know these things from being on both sides of this thing. I mean, there was a time where my biggest calendar conflict was with serving the Lord or serving mammon, mammon, you know, and how did I work those things? I will tell you guys, I was very intentional. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I will tell you, I was very disciplined. And I uh, got right on time. We, You remember the Franklin Covey meetings and all of that? I don't know if you guys remember. I'm sure Ron does. But there was a time in the business world back in the 90s when, man, if you didn't have a, in the 80s and 90s, if you didn't have a Franklin Covey seminar, you didn't know nothing. And uh, we had a knockoff at our company. It was the My Time, which is basically the same thing. But those things were good because I looked at my life. Because if if they're good, they tell you to not just look at your job. Look at your life and how are you investing your life. You know, the whole illustration with the rocks and the sand and the pebbles and all that stuff that they, they go through. And not you know a lot of things are urgent, but not a lot of things are important. And there's a lot of good principles and all of that stuff. And man, I I did all that training and I looked at my life and uh, and I made sure that I invested everything I could. I had color charts and everything on where I was investing my time. At lunchtime, my, that is green. That is that is that is means something godly's happening. I'm going to be at City Union Mission at lunchtime. <laughs> you know, on Saturdays, Sundays. This is. I mean, I had it all. And I want the blue was was uh, was the work world, right? How much time was? And I had that charted out percentage of time. Now I was probably a little over the top OCD on all that. But you know what? I, I was wanting to go somewhere because I was conflicted. I could just tell there was a tension in my life between the talent. Uh, that God, there was things that I wanted to do for God, I wanted to use for God, and if I allowed it, this other life uh, at my job would suck every available opportunity away from me. So I had to be, I had to be like hardcore to where this is what I'm doing. I'm not taking a meeting now. I got to the point where I could get, at first I wasn't. I was, sir, yes, sir, what do I need to do? When do I need to do it? How high do you want me to jump? I'm working 24 hours a day. But as time wore on, I realized, you know what? If I let this continue, I'm not going to have any time to accomplish the goals that God has for me. And eventually, he had, to, he had to give me the grace to let go, even if it meant my job. And the craziest thing is, the more I let go of it, the more he blessed me. I remember one time we had too much work, and so I hired Earl Cross, the guy who led me to Christ. I said, hey, Earl, come on in here. I need some help in the, the service department to do some, some as-built. easy work. Just come in and cover for me. I'm too busy, and I can't find faithful guys, and, and you're in the drafting world. And it was busy. It's hard to find good people. You can find people, but they're not good, and it takes more time to manage them than it does just to give them. So Earl could take care of that. So Earl rolls in, and he does this work, and no big deal. Some of the simplest easiest just red line markup drawings and and uh i get we get letters i've get i got managers bringing me in saying brian look at the letter we got from this person and i'm just like going this is god 
God is doing this. This is so silly. I can't believe anybody wrote a letter over markup and uh, and stuff like that. It was just ridiculous. I mean, God is just. It was like God was in heaven laughing. He was just teaching me, Brian, just let go, just just let go. I got this. And and he did some crazy things that just made me laugh out loud. I was like, really? We're getting. I'm getting. I'm getting. I mean, I'm like. I got these big projects that take a lot of manpower, a lot of energy, a lot of brain power, and we're getting commendations over stupid little stuff over here because God's just funny like that. He's just making me laugh. It was just amazing. The more I just let go and let God take care of everything, uh, the better it got. And so uh, it was amazing. Not that it was without d- difficulty, but, but God was good. And he, and he has to get you where you, you realize that, you know what, you're going to use your talent for God or for the devil. Right, and so it's a balancing act, right? And, and so I know if you're in business world, in the work world, you do have to serve your master, right? You got you made a contract to work there, so you do have to do a good job. But make sure that you do a good enough job for the Lord that God will give you some space to breathe, because you're, you're more valuable. And uh, and so I don't know. Most of you guys are in, not in that role too much anymore. But but those are things that God works you through because this is a real stressor. I was like, how am I going to invest my life? I want to invest it in the kingdom of God, but I got this stuff over here. And, and so, um, you know, make sure you're not entangled. Be, one of the things that is really valuable, practically speaking, is don't allow yourself to get entangled. So uh, I had a Mormon actually drag me in his office one day, and he says, Hey, Brian, don't. I heard you're getting a new house. I said, yes, I am. How'd you find that out? He goes, I got my ways. And I'm like, yeah. So, I mean, in this company I was in, it's like the firm, right? So, uh, so it's like, okay. Uh, and he said, he looked at me and he says, hey, they like it when you get in debt. And he, and he warned me. And he was right. And I watched that over the next, you know, a decade. And uh, I always remember that because it was biblical. Don't get entangled. Don't get too. Don't get. Don't don't get the biggest house. Don't get the biggest car. Don't keep yourself here because you don't want to get entangled. You don't want people getting their hooks in you and, and and then causing you to do things that are inappropriate. And so I always kept that in mind. And and that means you have to always be willing to walk. You have to be in a position where you can walk out the door. If anybody asks you to do something you don't want to do or something that's untoward, you say no. I ain't going to do it. And uh, and so you just don't. And after time, people realize, you know, that guy's not going to do it. And then they put you on jobs where they need someone honest instead of someone dishonest. And so that's how that all works. But you got to make a decision. And uh, I am thankful for Steve. The guy's name was Steve Bond because that was of the Lord. Even though he was a Mormon, I think the Lord used this guy. Uh, and, uh, and he was helping me. He was warning me. I had a couple warnings like that. And so it was always good. Another another warning I had like that, which is this is all goes together with being entangled, is as uh, one of the managers wanted to dominate my he wanted to bless me with some things, <clears throat> and the president pulled me in his office. Same thing, I, I must have just looked so wet behind the ears, you know. And he says, "Hey, don't do too many favors for that fella," you know. And uh, and I said, "Oh, okay, thanks." And so I didn't, and I kept that the whole time. And uh, I won't get into too much of the details, but the point is simply this. You do just have to be wise to not get entangled, right? And walk circumspectly with wisdom so that you can stay free. Because if the devil can rob you of your time, your talent, and your treasure, he will. So you're not useful for the kingdom of God. And so a good soldier is going to be able to, to negotiate that. <clears throat> so what is robbing your treasure? Are you spending God's resources on things that, that don't profit? Are you digging in a financial hole that's binding you so you're not free to serve God? Right? I was able to come to Harrisonville because I had no bills. The only bill I had was my house payment. 
and uh, and I'm glad because it was a lot harder once I got down here. <laughs> so, so you know the uh, you know you need to be free so you can go anywhere God wants you to go. We have people in our church right now saying God wants me to be a missionary. Good. What is entangling you? Why aren't you a missionary? Start untangling the things that need to be untangled. Start adding the things that need to be added. Because uh, if you really are serious, you got to put yourself in a position by God's grace uh, so that you are in a soldier's mindset, so that you can go where God tells you to go and and you can be lean and mean, uh, a spiritual fighting machine. So Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich ruler, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. And so you do have to be unencumbered so that the Lord can use you. If you got a, you know, your house is upside down and you got 15 car payments and you can't make ends meet, you're not eligible to be in the mission field. Uh, it's just not going to work for you. You got to take care of that before you can go anywhere. So, in conclusion, Paul needs his son in the Lord to be ready to identify with the testimony of our Lord Jesus and partake of the afflictions of the gospel. Ultimately, we know what happens. Timothy ends up dying, at least tradition says, Fox's Book of Martyrs says he dies in the street in in Ephesus uh, as a martyr. This guy doesn't have that kind of intestinal fortitude. He's not Paul, right? He's he's not Apollos. Uh, He's Timothy, kind of the weak-stomached guy. But you know what? Evidently, he's a man. And he became a man's man as he, as he died and took on the afflictions of Christ. So to do this, he's got to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and be a faithful steward of God's mission and make disciples. And so by God's grace, that's what we're doing here at HBF. And uh, we've got to be ready. We've got to be willing. And, uh, and then once we're ready and we're willing, then we've got to endure hardness. Right? So, uh, literally last week this came to my mind. So we were in the middle of our trip, of course, and uh, I made the mistake of eating broiled chicken. And you know what happened. And so, yeah, Montezuma came and found me. And so, uh, so as I laid in bed with fever, uh, I, and I don't mention this, I didn't, I don't want to, we don't need to go beyond the room here because it's not a big deal. It's not the point of the trip. But I thought about, you know what, what do I do this afternoon? Because I really could just stay here. <laughs> I really want to stay here. But God said, Brian, come on. You're leading this trip. Get up out of bed and, and go by faith. they got a restroom over there. And, uh, you know, you can get sick over there. And so I did. I got up. And you know what? When I started putting one foot ahead of the other, you know what happened? I started feeling better. And I didn't feel good, but I felt better. And if I wouldn't have went, I would have missed, I would have missed that movie night and God filling that net. And, uh, and so uh, I'm so thankful I was able to get out and go on that. So sometimes ministry does cause you and call you to endure hardness. Uh, uh, you may not have all the sleep that you wish you had. You may not have the food that you wish you had. You may not have the, uh, you may not have the health that you wish you had. Uh, but many of you are examples of that every day. I know, Sharon, you, you endure hardness. Bob, you endure, endure hardness. Uh, Joe Sparks, uh, a soldier of soldiers, uh, in every sense of the word, uh, in his dying days with incredible pain, would force himself in here and shake, pump that fist. And the whole time I knew that he was literally dying inside. I mean, he was in incredible pain. Um, and he was not going to miss church. Uh, well, we have people casually coming in and out of the building any given Sunday. This guy knew this for him. This is for all the marbles, and he was going to go out with his boots on. And I, I'll never forget. 
the tenacity of Joseph Sparks until he literally just couldn't come anymore. And, uh, man, I, I really appreciate that because it really is the kind of example that not only that we need, but it's also for me, it's like, man, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. When I grow up, I want to be like Joe Sparks. I want to go out with my boots on. So, and you see Grandy Foster, and you see, I mean, you see, we got a lot of examples of people who soldier around here and, and in this room as well. And so I appreciate you guys being good soldiers, and I thank you for listening, and I hope this was encouraging to you. Don't get entangled. All right, don't get entangled because that will that'll zap you every time. All right, any other words of wisdom? I got a story. Okay, uh, shoot it. It was December of well, two thousand seventeen. It was like I don't know, like five or six months before Joe passed. Joe Spark passed, and Michelle, my friend Michelle, and. So we were all doing something. We, were, we went out to see Peggy, and of course, you know. Anyway, yep. it was declining. But we would, uh, one of the things we did was see, went to see Joe and Reef before they, you know, our house. And it was just good to be there because that was one of the last times I would ever see Joe in a personal meeting like that. Yeah, he was, uh, he was a good brother. We'll see him again. He'll be fist pumping in heaven now. So, that guy, he's something else. So, I can't imagine the soldier body that we're all going to have when we get there. Oh, ain't that the truth? That'll be good. I could use one. <laughs> so, uh, that'll be good. All right. Well, guys, thank you for listening. We'll pick it up next week. Uh, I will be here next week. And then after that, Jimmy, you got the 10th, I believe it is. So, that week, be praying for us. So,. That's when our service will be going on out there. So is on Sunday night. That's their main opportunity to meet. So be praying about that. Last time we, or the first time we went uh, with me and Chris and Brady and Jim, it was a small group like uh, and uh, and it was amazing the fruit that that came from our little group. And so again, I I'm kind of used to God filling the nets. So I'm I'm not like oh nothing's going to happen. Just from a little bit of street work, people started coming. It wasn't huge, but I think we had five to six people show up to church that uh, wouldn't come wouldn't come otherwise. So uh, that's a big deal in Boston. So we praise the Lord for that. Yeah, Ron. I'm sorry for the interruption. Somebody's horn's going off outside. Of- I hear. I hear that. Mm, I don't know. Well, we'll pray and get to that in a moment. No, it didn't. What's weird is it sounds like it's coming from the back. That is weird. Hmm. Maybe it's my vehicle. Maybe someone's trying to break in. Well, ladies, thanks for coming. This is a completely different format, so these people like this best. Praise the Lord. Yeah. (laughs) 
the hymns singing the hymns at the beginning. We start we start at six with song. Yeah, it doesn't fill up much on Sunday night, so it's pretty intimate. As a matter of fact, oh no problem, my privilege. So this is a time where we pray, and uh, I'm over by about. 20 minutes, which is not unusual. Um, so, uh, we have prayer piece. Our prayer. This is our prayer list in peace, in small piece form. So, this in, 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 uh, ensures we can pray for everyone on our prayer list. Uh, you all don't have to jump in, but we're wel- you're welcome and wanted to if you would like to pray. So, I can give you some pieces to pray over. Um, so, what we do is take some time here and just pray over our prayer list. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. And so, I think my wife must have fallen asleep. She was sleeping when I left the house. I think she didn't wake up. So, she's probably still laying there sleeping. I had a cat nap myself. Sundays are for napping after church. Do you get a nap, Bob? Good for you. Well deserved. All right. As we're, I'm passing these out, um, any I mean, there's a lot to pray for, but any any pressing prayer needs. Or praises. But we had a lot of praises Wednesday night. A lot of things to praise God for. I want to praise the Lord because my grandchildren, they finished a week of going to school and going by bus and coming home by bus. And in Guatemala, their school day began 